many times when you've been put in where you find yourself in a small beginning, what that really tells me is you're positioned for greatness. Many people that are born with a silver spoon in their mouth and everything uh, that you could ever want in the best situation, many times those people don't amount to much spiritually in the kingdom of God. And I, I believe this, you know, the rich young ruler and, and the like, the te- what Jesus taught about that is very obvious to all of us. But we, you know, Zacharias says, don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise yourself if you don't feel like you're a big somebody, because that's a good thing. You know, we live in a culture and a society of such extreme narcissism that you might think of yourself less than what God created you. You are his workmanship, by the way, in the new birth. And you might think of yourself as, well, I'm never going to amount to anything. But turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 28. And look what it says. It's really a powerful portion of Scripture. And we're going to talk about being positioned for greatness and to not... That's the title this morning, but do not despise small beginnings is the preface. And as we look at that 1 Corinthians one twenty six, I look at the verse where it starts out and it says, For you see, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen. Now, you'd think this was a pastoral epistle, but this is talking to a group of people. We're all called. Everybody say, we're all called. This is not a pastoral epistle. This is an epistle to a group of people, the Corinthians. And it says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. In other words, he wants to turn things upside down. Can I get an amen? He wants the unlikely to come in and turn it, those things that are now, let me read that again. It's, it's an odd way of saying it, and it kind of almost messes me up when I say it. And it says, the things, well, I'll read the whole verse. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not. If you're not rich, you're not great, you're not in particularly intelligent or attractive or whatever. I, I don't care what you want to put in that slot. The things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. There's some things that need to be brought down right now in our nation. Can, could I get an amen on that at least? And, and, and there's some things that uh, some of us who, who are not, some who may not be a big deal, I'm praying will bring to naught some of those things that are. I hope our next president is not a socialist, not an atheist. If you look at socialism, its first tenet and foundational tenet is atheism. And all ensuing tenets 
are completely 100% antithetical to Christianity. 100%. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, it's socialism. That's good. We all share. No, it's not man. Jesus in the book of Acts and, and where they, they came together and they shared things. That was voluntary. Number one, voluntary. How many know there's a big difference between me voluntarily sharing my things with my neighbor and the government grabbing me by the back of my neck, shoving my head into the ground and saying, you're going to do this. We're going to take all your money. We'll decide how you share it. No, I don't think that's biblical. So, so there's some things that need to be brought tonight. That no flesh should glory in his presence. How, how many of God is always wanting to change some established things? I'm not saying he's anti-establishment, but I'm saying there are some established things that are ungodly. Yeah. And uh, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You know, I, I believe this. The underdog, God has chosen the underdogs to prevail for his glory in the things of this life. God wants you, if you feel like you're not fit, you're not, not smart, you're not able, you're not attractive, whatever it is. It, your inabilities are God's greatest abilities. Paul said, when I am weak, then he can be strong through me. It's when you think you're so strong that God can't do a thing through you. So we've got to understand that there is some serious uh, humility that we need to operate in. And just be maybe thankful that you, you are kind of an underdog because you qualify for God's mighty and glorious use. Somebody turn your name and say that. And that also means you, not just me. <laughs> Amen. That's supposed to be funny, but three, about five minutes from now you'll get it. But anyway, uh, I like what it says over there in Psalms 113.7. Go ahead and turn there too. See, the statistics tell us that many times the underdogs are used, and they're called overachievers many times. Statistics tell us in the world of the CEOs and presidents and millionaires political high-ups, they came from very humble beginnings, many of them. And you can see God's hand in trying to raise them up, but then many times when he does, they get proud, and then, they, then he can't use them anymore. But I, that's why God constantly tells us to stay humble. You know, Lucifer was the high-ranking, high-archangel of, archangel of heaven who was the covering cherub, who was the most beautiful and the f- most filled with wisdom. He had the stones on his chest, the internal... Uh, physical or- organs of music and praise and worship, but he said he was filled with pride, he corrupted his own wisdom, and he was cast down. He says, oh, Lucifer, why art thou fallen? Because that was said in thy heart, I will ascend. That self-actualization, self-assertion, self, you know, it goes on and on about how he was going to ascend to the hill of the Lord and be as God. He says, I shall be as God. He says, and God says, no, you won't. I'll cast you down. See, our, our humility is a very important component of our walk with God. But Psalms, I'm going to go there. Psalms, uh, let's go there quickly. Psalms 1, uh, 13, verse 7. I, this is a great scripture. I love this scripture, uh, how it says there, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and he lifted the needy out of the dunghill. Wow, out of the dunghill that he may set with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house, 
and to be a joyful mother of children, praise the Lord. And there was people that can't have children, he'll, he'll cause you to be able to have children, and which was a big, big deal back then. Your identity and worth was all summed up in how many kids you had. And so he raised up the poor this, out of the dunghill. I mean, that's pretty bad, isn't it, the dunghill? And then sit with princes? Wow, that's an amazing thing. God has a different way of dealing with the proud. James 4, 6, he says, God gives grace to the humble, uh, and he resists the proud. It says, humble yourself, and God will exalt you. And David's great psalm of repentance in Psalms 51, verses 16 and 17, he says, God says that he does not despise a contrite heart and the sacrifices of a contrite and humble heart. God looks for people to be that way. I, I really like this one verse out of Psalms, excuse me, out of Isaiah, Isaiah 57, 15. It's one of my favorite verses. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Now, does that sound very transcendent and glorious sounding? For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with those who are great and the great archangels. And Oh, wait, no, it doesn't say that. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite. God hangs out with the humble folks. How many of you noticed that about Jesus when he walked on this earth? He was over there with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the outcasts and the, all the little people, all the nobodies. And he was despised by the, all the big somebodies. But Jesus truly said that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because he's, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the rich and the famous. Oh, wait, no, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring deliverance to the captive, to bring sight to the blind, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which, what's the acceptable year of the Lord? That's the year of Jubilee. That's where all the people who had debt and sin were released and set free from it. Can I get an Amen. That's why Jesus comes with good news. Those are all the needy people, it sounds like, to me. All the, who are not mighty, those who are not noble. Those, in other words, God wants to use you. If, if you feel like you're not used uh, or, or usable or a good candidate to be used by God because of your inability or because of maybe a shortcoming, you need to completely turn your thinking around today. Say, wow, what an opportunity. God looks for those who are humble. God looks for those who maybe aren't the greatest. Jesus, you know, Lucifer said, I will exalt my throne. To the... Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. I will hang on the cross. I'll become sin. I'll go down into the center of the earth for three days. And because it says in Philippians, because he humbled himself, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Because he knows that in humility, that's where God begins to exalt us. You know, David was a shepherd boy. You can turn over there, First Samuel 17, chapter. You don't have to follow along. But basically, he was operating as, you know, the pizza delivery guy. He was bringing the soldiers their food. David had a very humble position. He was kept out on the back 40 when Samuel came looking for the next king of Israel. His dad didn't even bring him in from the field. He had all of his other brothers come and candidate when the prophet came and said, I'm going to choose a king today. He didn't even invite David to come and candidate with the other brothers. 
he was out there, you know, with uh, the sheep. And you look at that. And then he comes up, he says, what's wrong with you? All you guys, when, when Goliath comes and King Saul is sitting there shivering and scared to death of Goliath's threats, all the guys behind him, it says, they were all afraid. Saul was afraid and all of his men were afraid. And they're all there. And David comes along and, and he, you know, he's delivering the, 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 you know, the flat bread and, and you know, maybe some lamb meat or, or something, whatever they ate back then. And, and uh, he, he's bringing food. And, and, he, and he, he's hearing from a distance what that eight-foot big knucklehead is saying about God's people. Bring somebody out to fight me. I win. You're our slaves. If you win, we'll be your slaves, which we all know that was a lie. And we, 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 we see him really getting bothered by that. He says, is there not a cause? Isn't there anybody that wants to fight? Isn't anybody going to do anything about this? You know what? I'll, I'll do something about it. The, the, most hum- the only guy there that wasn't trained in military, the only guy that doesn't have a sword and a shield and armor, the only guy who hasn't been there uh, in the military all this time, the only guy that is relegated to the backside of the desert taking care of the sheep, the only guy, how many of you know God chooses the humble over the proud? And then he says, I'll do it. And, and the first thing that Saul says that really encourages him, he says, you can't do that. You're not able to. He says, well, I can. He said, I killed some bears. I killed some lions on the backside. I know how to do this thing. And then his brother says, you arrogant little punk. What are you doing coming down here? You're, you're this little guy. You're younger than us. You're smaller than us. You're not trained like us. You're not part of us. You, you don't know the plan that we have. And then you come in here and tell us how it's going to be done. You're the most arrogant little thing we've ever seen. Why don't you go back home and suck your thumb or something, you know? And King Saul, you know, he's thinking, well, maybe we can send him out there to appease the giant and he'll be our sacrifice, you know? He's probably thinking that way. And he said, well, okay, I'll let you do it. But here, at least take my armor. I don't want anybody to think that I'm the bad guy sending you out the wrong way, you know? He was all, he was all narcissistic and that didn't really have good interests in heart. And, and so, and David says, no, no. He says, I, I can't do this with your armor. I got to go do this. And David goes out there and he defeats. God is, doesn't choose many mighty, the Bible says, to put it not that which is. I would like to think that there's people in this room that can be world changers, that we can make a difference on a huge scale. How many of you believe that if God uses the humble, he can use us to do great things, to affect our town, to affect our, our state and things? I, I believe that. I've seen it. And, and I know that a, a young boy, you know, small compared to Goliath, no experience, can do this. Moses, after many years, he was on the backside of that desert. Complete failure in his attempt to lead. He's raised up in the house of Pharaoh. I'd like be being a Kennedy and going to the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard or something. I mean, you, that's like honcho level stuff to be in the household of Pharaoh in the most powerful nation on earth, in the most powerful household on earth, and be raised up and then say, oh, I'm going to lead my people out of here. And he strikes the guy and kills him. And all the Hebrews reject him and say, yeah, you're going to lead us? Yeah, when you get mad, you'll kill us like you killed that guy? Huh. He's so humiliated. He tried to take his big stand and become the big leader and show him how it's done. 
and everybody rejects him, and he runs off in infamy and shame and goes out and runs into a, a priest by the name of Jethro, whom he works for for 40 years and marries the daughter, and he comes back. And it was interesting that he was mighty in words and deeds when he was with Pharaoh. He was probably a little full of himself. He probably knew how to mouth it but didn't know how to do it. But then if after 40 years of being with Jethro, after being equipped with God, he said, I'm slow of speech and I'm not very good at talking. Now, I, what happened to him? Because he said he was mighty in words and deeds. You read it. Acts, the seventh chapter. It recounts the story of Moses. And it tells us that he was mighty in words and deeds. And then how can this same guy suddenly become a guy that says, I'm slow of speech. I really wish you'd use somebody else, God. He finally got an accurate self-assessment. Let me tell you something. Pride is this, an over-assessment, an inaccurate over-assessment of yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, it says over in Romans, third chapter. Humility is not a self-put-down and still an inaccurate assessment of yourself. Well, I'm just a rotten, dirty little dog, worthless, no good, nothing. Well, that's just stupid to talk like that. That's just stupid. Because you are God's workmanship. But maybe you aren't fully trained yet. So an accurate self-assessment is this. I'm everything that God says I am. I can do everything that God says I can do. And I can have everything God says I can have. And I'm trying to attain to that. But without him I am nothing. But through him I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's an accurate biblical self-portrayal, assessment, and, and understanding of yourself. So when you think you're something hot without God, you're full of pride. Humility is not this self-put-down and not ever even mentioning what the Word says about you. Right there, you've shown your arrogance that you're going to self-assess instead of let God assess who you are. Somebody say amen. amen. You need to let God assess, not self-assess. And God says a lot about who we are to the tune of about 160 different verses. So we need to realize that, you know, we, we need to, in a humble way, recognize, however, man, we're nothing, but with him we can do all things. So we're highly dependent upon God. That takes a high level of humi- humility to operate then, because your dependency is totally on him. So when we do that, we can see that Moses became, I think, more cognitive of who he really was. And he said, you know, I'm kind of slow of speech. But then he, he took the job and he knew that God, he had faith because he did what God told him to do. And after many years, you know, who was slow of speech, who made, uh, you know, God said, who made your mouth anyway? That's the point I, I almost forgot. He said, I'm slow of speech. But then he said, who made your mouth? So you know what that tells me? When he went from mighty in words and deeds to slow in speech, not wanting to do it. And then if you remember there, in verse, uh, I've got it written down here, where it talks about verse 11 in Exodus 4. God says to Moses, who made your mouth? So I used to be this cocky guy that was, you know, mighty in words and deeds. Now I feel like I don't know anything now that I know God and, and realize what a knucklehead I was and, and everything. And I don't even know if I want to. But the balance comes when who made your mouth? When you become a possession of God and you become a vessel in his hands, that's when you can do all things through Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? So those things are important for us to understand. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, yet he said 
that he was not excellent in speech or wisdom. He says, I did not come unto you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but with power and demonstration of the Spirit that your faith should not rest upon the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Here's a guy that wrote two there's the New Testament. He was taught under Gamaliel, the greatest Jewish teacher of the time. He had the highest credentials that anybody could possibly have. God must have thought he knew something because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, but among sinners, I am chief. I am not strong in excellency of speech, and I don't come to you that, but I come to you with power and demonstration of the Spirit, that your faith shouldn't rest upon my wisdom, but God's power. See, see how there's a balance between we don't put ourselves down but we don't try to exalt ourselves, but we just see who we are in Christ and we operate through him. That's when you can go from being the underdog. That's when you can go from the dunghill to sitting with princes. Does anyone want to attain to greater things in your life? Raise your hand if you want to go on to the next level. I'm giving you some principles today that will help you. Humility is a powerful tool. Paul said, when I am weak, he is strong. Paul, you know, he was very educated, but he totally didn't get it. He was killing God's people, Christians. And then when he got it, he acted like he wasn't educated. He says, I'm slow of speech and I don't come to you with men's wisdom, but with the power of God. So here he was, highly educated, killing Christians. And then when he claimed to not have, you know, the wisdom of man to share, then he was leading God's people and writing two-thirds of the New Testament. So I believe this, that when we get into a right mindset and frame of mind, you know, Joyce Myers, who's got the largest ministry in America, was a secretary for a church for many years. Joel Osteen, who's got the largest church in America, worked in the tech room for many years. T.D. Jakes, who's got the largest church in Dallas uh, for many, many years, he has in a church in South Carolina that ran 200 people. And then God suddenly exalted them. That doesn't mean I agree with everything that they say and do in those ministries. But what I'm saying is it's interesting to watch how sometimes people go from absolute obscurity to absolute forefront. I don't, it's an amazing thing to see that. And really, neither one of them had any great theological tra- training. And sometimes it shows, but, but still God has somehow allowed them to come to great prominence. Why does God want to raise up his underlings? 1 Samuel 17.46, I don't want everybody to turn there this morning. Let's go to 1 Samuel. And he wants to do some things through you. You know, one person says, the only reason why God wants us to stay here is to have some prize fighters. He, 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 you know, why don't we, as soon as we get saved, just go on to heaven? Well, number one, we need to stay here and win souls. But number two, we need to enforce Satan's defeat. We need to be the occupying army. And we need to model exemplify that we're more than conquerors. You know, we can say we're more than conquerors. Oh, that's a neat scripture to to quote. And we can say, you know, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. That's a neat scripture to vote. We can quote out of Corinthians, it says, he always causes us to triumph. We can quote all those wonderful scriptures. And we can say, well, that, you know, spiritually, we, we know that, and, and we, you know, we all know that God, you know, that's our position in Christ, and, and that's what, but you know, I'm going to tell you something. God wants it really, for real, demonstrated out here in the real world. He wants us to be conquerors. He wants us to be overcomers. He wants us to be uh, more uh, than conquerors. When David, are you all there, First Samuel 
17.45. And I'm going to start, actually I'm going to begin in verse 43. And the Philistines said unto David, this is the devil talking to you and I. Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves and Philistines? You know, he, he, is used to, he was the archangel of heaven. He, he still has this ego trip. You're coming to me saying that you're going to tread upon me like serpents and scorpions. You have authority over me. He'll challenge you with that every day of your life if you let him. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Why didn't God just strike him dead right there? Why didn't God just smite him with some lightning right there? Have a couple angels go down there and cut his head off. No, God wants to do it this wise. Look, verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine. See now, and, and remember, everybody's watching. Everybody's listening. Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear, with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. Making it real clear to everybody what's going on here. And this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. And I will smite thee. Now, the Lord will deliver, but I will smite. How many of you know we're co-laborers with God together? The Lord will deliver him, and he'll do the smiting. That seems like a good deal to me. But anyway, this day the Lord will deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth will know that David is a stud. Oh, No, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. See, that's where a lot of people take their wrong turn. They want everybody to know how big their church is or how successful that they are or how much money they make. Or, but see, David wasn't interested in that. God could use him because he wanted everybody to know that there was a God in Israel. Why, what is your motivation? Why do you go to work? Do you go to work just to make money, or do you go to work to be a witness to lost people? Who are you doing this for? Who are you doing anything for, yourself or the Lord? See, David was doing this for the Lord. That's probably why his other brothers weren't given the job, because they showed up to be the candidates. He was too busy working, taking care of the sheep. We know who was doing what for what motive that day. Well, we do here as well. That all the earth may know that God, there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not by sword and spear. You know, Zechariah says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Not by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Verse 48, there's only four words, five words you need to know there, and it came to pass. Amen. Somebody say amen. Boy, he had his confession right, that's for sure. I mean, he was saying all the right things. He spoke and powerful things happened. Ephesians says we are his workmanship. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 69, the Lord looks to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for a man, looking for someone who he can show himself strong on the behalf of whose heart is perfect towards him.
God is looking for somebody he can make into a big deal for everybody to see. Somebody say amen. Whose heart is right towards him. That's what makes the difference. David's heart, he has, what does it say about David? David had a what? He was a man after God's own what? After God's own heart. That's why 2 Chronicles, or is it 1 Chronicles? The verse in yeah, 2 Chronicles 16, 9 could be applied, and David, God showed himself strong on the behalf of David, whose heart was perfect towards God. David made some mistakes later on. We all know that. But those are about the only mistakes he made was that deal with Bathsheba. We are his workmanship. And 1 Corinthians 1, 27 says, he'll confound the wise and the mighty and bring to nothing, humiliate the humanistic establishment the Goliaths of this world, that no flesh should glory to show forth what Christ has made us to be. Amen. Peter and John, it says that they took note that they were ignorant and unlearned men that had been with Jesus. See, I'd rather be ignorant and unlearned and have the power of God. I mean, it's good to have education. I'm all for that. Believe me, I am. But we can't let it go to our head. We've got to be operating our heart. So I'm going to give you four quick things. And we'll wind down here. How do we all become candidates for greatness? Not the type of greatness that the world thinks of. You know, the Bible talks about how Solomon had fame. It talks about how Jesus had fame. It talks about numerous places where people have fame. We're not talking about fame like Hollywood famous. We're talking about divinely ordered fame for a very strategic purpose for the sake of the gospel. Can I get an amen? There are very strategic things that God wants to do, and fame is one of those things. See, recognize that in Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. See, the Bible says that uh, if you'll humble, humble yourself, God will exalt you. But let, here's one of the ways that we humble ourselves. Because it says, not by power or by might, but by my spirit. Everybody say, but by my spirit. How full do you stay of the Holy Spirit? Ephesians says, be not drunk, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the spirit. Knowing what the will of the Lord is. See, when you're full of the Spirit, you'll know what the will of the Lord is. If you get low on the Holy Spirit, you'll wander around like in the wilderness not knowing what the will of the Lord is. But as long as you stay full of the Holy Spirit, you'll always know what the will of the Lord is. There come, with fullness, there comes cognition because the Spirit fills up your soul and your mind. He fills up your heart and He fills you up until you're overflowing. Being, and it says, be ye filled. And in the Greek, it means be ye being filled. Now, we know that's not the new birth because He's talking to the Ephesians. They were Christians. Be ye continuously, ongoingly, is the grammar in the Greek, being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, constantly get refilled with the Holy Spirit. There's four ways to get filled with the Spirit. Initially, you get hands laid on you and people pray and you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, when you pray a lot in tongues, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, if you uh, read your Bible out, Jesus, Jesus said, my words are spirit and life, you get filled with the Spirit. When you give praise and worship, because it says, be ye being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So praise and worship gets you filled with the Spirit. You can feel that sometimes, right? In the middle of praise and worship, you feel the Spirit come upon you. You can feel that sometimes when you're listening to the Word and you're getting revelation from God and the sermon starts coming alive. The sermon starts talking to me. You're being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you have hands laid on you, you feel almost like this electrical current, this feeling, this warm and unusual feeling coming into you. That's being filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves. The word. Those things, see, it's not by power or by might, 
with being filled with the Spirit. So one of the first things we have to humble ourselves and say, I can't do this without you. When I'm weak, you're strong. When I'm humbled, you are present. Lord, refill me with your Spirit. That's number one. Everybody say, number one, being positioned for greatness is being filled with the Spirit. Brother Hagin said he knew a young man in his 30s that was a multi-multi-millionaire. Very, very extremely wealthy, way beyond his years. He was an investor. That's all he did for a living. And he said that people would come ask him all the time, said, how, how did you get so rich at such an early age? And How do you make so much money? How do you do this? How, how can a 30-some-year-old be a multi-multi-millionaire? He says, this is what I told him, Brother Hagin. He said, Brother Hagin knew the guy, and he said, I go into my prayer closet, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray. And I meditate, and I meditate, and I meditate on the word. And he says, every single decision that I'm confronted with about investments, he says, I pray until I get peace one way or the other, and I don't do anything until I do, and I don't quit seeking and praying and reading the word until I get a peace in my heart which way to go on the investment. And he says, I've never lost any money, not one single time. In the days that we live in, we need that kind of tenacity. Because these are dark days with a lot of deceiving things, and we need to know how to hear God. Can I get an amen? God will exalt you if you'll humble yourself. You know, some, some guys, well, you know, I'm smart. I know how to invest. I don't need to go get in some closet like some weird Christian and spend all that time and read that silly Bible. Really? This guy, this guy was unbelievably successful, and he humbled himself, and he made no decision but what he sought God until he heard God. How many would say that's humbling yourself? All right, number two, your words need to be in line with the word of God. Joel 3.10 says, let the weak say I'm strong. Let him who is in the dunghill say I will sit with the princes. (laughs) Like it says in Psalms, let the weak say I'm strong. Did you know that in Romans 4.17, Abram, who could not have any children, he laughed. We have Bible time in our house. We're reading through the whole Bible out loud in our house and we all spend time reading the Bible and reading the book of Proverbs every day and, and uh, talking about how Sarah and Abram laughed when the angels came down and who I believe the pre-incarnate Christ, the Lord, came down and spoke with them and said, you're going to have a child. And they laughed and, and they had a hard time believing at first, but then, praise God, he got into faith. And, and, uh, but in Romans 4.17 it says, God calleth those things that be not as though they were. And it says, and he, not being weak, but being strong in faith, he received the promise. And God called those things that be not. And he said, the way I'm going to get you to call those things that be not as though they were, because I call those things that be not as though they were. And he says, so I call you Abraham, the father of many nations, even though you're Abram, uh, just a name, and that you're 100 years old, and your wife is 100 years old, and you're both impotent, and neither one of you can have children, And you can call yourself that, but I'm going to name you so every time you refer to yourself, you're going to have to refer to yourself as the father of many nations. So you're not going to go by your name. You're going to go by my name. You're not going to go by your calling and your self-confession, but you're going to go by my calling and my uh, profess or confession that I have given you to say over yourself. Well, those are powerful things. Verily I say to you, whoever shall say to the mountain, be thou removed and be thou... Cast seen shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. When you start saying the right thing, you'll start thinking the right thing. When you start thinking the right thing, you'll start believing the right thing. When you start believing the right thing, you'll start receiving the right things. 
Because whatsoever things you desire when you pray, if you believe that you receive it, you shall have it. You've got to believe that you receive it and you shall have it. You see, you've got to self-reprogram, you've got to self-recommunicate, and then you can start thinking biblically, start believing biblically, and start receiving biblically. Amen. Somebody getting anything out of this this morning? You see, he said, God calls those things that be not as though they were. And see, confession means to say the same thing as God says. How many of you know we need to say the same thing that God says about it? We're the healed. We're the delivered. How many of you know if you say the opposite of what God says, that means you're arrogant and you think you know more than God and you're not going to submit to him? Somebody say amen. We need to say that, you know, if God says 2 plus 2 equals 4, I'm going to say 2 plus 2 equals 4. But if God says I'm the healed positionally I've got healing that belongs to me and I need to receive it by faith, then I'm going to say positionally healing belongs to me and I'm going to choose to start receiving it by faith, by renewing my mind and using my faith. And so we need to get lined up with what God says and we need to say what God says. Amen. And David said, today I'm going to take... Now remember we just read that? David said, and today, you know, I come in the name of the Lord and he says, and I will come... In the name of the Lord, this day, the Lord will deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give, it, give, it to, give the carcass uh, of the hosts of the Philistines this day under the fowls of the air. How many of David was saying before he was seeing? There's too many people, they have to see it first before they'll say it. Faith is saying it before you see it. Unbelief is having to see it before you'll say it. Because King Saul had to see it before he would say it. He wouldn't say things like that. He was afraid. He wouldn't talk faith. He wouldn't get in line with God. And he stood there and shivered in fear. And all of his soldiers shivered in fear with him. And they shook in their fear. And they were afraid. And they despised someone who got up and said, I'm going to take that guy's head off. And they wouldn't say it until they saw it. But David is willing to say it before he saw it. See, that's difference between faith. I don't know why I keep going on these little rabbit trails, but I hope somebody's getting something out of this. Number four. Oh, and number three. No, it is for God's glory and not your own. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.29, it says that no flesh should glory. Wow. David said, I take his head off that all of Israel will know that there's a God in Israel, that you all may know that there's a God in Israel is why I come up here and I take this guy out, this guy Goliath, and I stand victorious over him so that everyone will know. Because I'm the littlest guy. I'm the least likely guy. I'm the most unexperienced guy. I'm the smallest little brother that my older brothers humiliate me and made fun out of me and told me to go back home and shut up and quit trying to play with the real soldiers. I'm the guy that does not have a sword in my hand. I'm the guy that does not have a shield. I'm the guy that has no protection. As the guy that the king's armor is too big for me to even wear. I'm the guy that's going out there with a the slingshot. I'm the guy that probably everybody in the whole place is laughing at. Now I'm the guy saying I'm going to take him out. Oh, what an opportunity where I'm, you know, when I'm weak, he is strong talking about how God wants to position you for greatness. And if you don't think you're positioned for greatness because you weren't born with a lot of money, maybe you weren't born with a lot of intelligence, you weren't born with a lot of looks, you weren't born with a lot of position and, and, and whatever, throw that all to the wind and say, you know what, 
I'm perfectly positioned to do everything and anything God wants me to do. Amen. Trying to encourage you today to step out and not be intimidated by anything that's around you. How many of you know if David would have been intimidated, he'd have gone home when his brothers got on him? How many of you know if he was going to get intimidated, he would have went home when the king said, you're not able to do this, you're too small, too young, too inexperienced? How many of you know when the eight-foot monster came up and said, I'm going to cut you up and feed you uh, to, to the birds today, and, and the third and final plane in realm of intimidation uh, that he could have really got intimidated about that time. Yeah. Don't be intimidated, somebody. Amen. Amen. All right, last one. We need to honor and submit to authority. You know, the Bible says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Psalms, you know, says, touch not God's anointed. When David had the chance to take out Saul, Saul was trying to kill him. Saul was chasing him. Saul hated him. Saul was jealous. Ever since the ladies sang that day, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. And all the women were running around town singing about David. And Saul, the king of Israel, got really jealous. And from that time on, it says a demon entered into him, an evil spirit. And several times he threw a spear and he tried to kill David. And he should, you know, he was just, he was hateful, wanting to kill, he was rotten towards David. And David at one point had an opportunity to kill him. And he was up in a cave and he was sleeping. David went in there, cut off a piece of his thing. And the other man says, why don't you just kill that jerk? You know, he's been trying to kill you for a long time. Why don't you just kill that jerk? He's been trying to kill you all these years. He's made you a fugitive. He's made you run for your life, all your adult life. And you've only done him good. And you've never done anything against him. Why don't you just kill him? He says, I dare not touch God's anointed. And he cut off a piece. He came back. And then later, he even regretted it and felt like he'd even done evil just doing that. And said, oh, how did I, why did I do that? I shouldn't touch God's anointed. First Peter says, the younger should submit to the older. And in due time, God will exalt you. Well, that is very clear in several places. How many know God will give you double for your shame? In Isaiah 61, 7, he says he'll give you double for your shame. In Zechariah 9, 12, it says the prisoners of hope, he will give you double. And here's Elijah and his humble servant, Elisha, who served him for 25 years. He was his servant boy for 25 years. And it was when time for him to leave, he went around to all the schools of the prophets to all the academies where all the prophets are being trained, where he was the guest itinerant speaker in all those schools. And he would go around and preach and teach in those schools and teach those young prophets. And then everybody, the prophets all began to know. God started speaking to them, your master is going to be taken up this day. And so he went around and he looked in all the schools and he stopped at each one of those schools. And you know, he was looking for a successor. And then it dawned on him somewhere in the process that that successor was the guy who had been serving him for the past 25 years. And he turned to Elisha, his servant, And Elijah said, what can I give unto you? And he said, a double portion. And you know what? God gave him the double portion. Let me tell you something. Here was one who was humble. Here was one who was of small beginnings. Here is one whom all the rest of the guys probably laughed at. Like, your parents, (laughs) they don't have enough money, and they're not prophets. You don't even get to come to our school, dude. Yeah, why don't you go wash the prophet's feet for him? And God chooses him. God chooses the humble things of the world to confound the wise. Can I get an amen? amen? And Elisha didn't just get chosen. He got a double portion. And he did, as recorded in the Bible, twice exactly the number of miracles 
that his protege did Elijah. That's very powerful. And there's, I mean, there's numerous places. Isaiah 61, he says he'll give you double for your shame. He'll give you double if you've been a prisoner and you've been oppressed. He wants to give you double. He wants to take you and he wants to exalt you. He wants to take you out of the dunghill today and he wants to put you and seat you with princes. Can I get an amen? amen. amen. I sure got quiet in this church this morning. Let's all stand up. How many of you feel like you're underperforming? How many of you feel this morning like you've been underassessed at work? How many of you feel like you've been underserved, underprivileged, under whatever? You haven't hit your mark. You haven't fulfilled your calling. You haven't reached your potential. I don't care how you want to say it. There's a million ways to say it. But you're really not there yet. And you feel like somehow you're handicapped. Uh, it, it, it's not fair. You're, you've got, you know... The deck is stacked against you. you. You don't know how you could ever make it. You don't know how you could ever do it. But you know that there's more there than what you're really uh, receiving or doing or, or fulfilling. With heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you this morning, quickly raise your hand. And you feel like there's a lot more for you in life. So if you haven't got your hand raised, you must have arrived. And that's awesome. I'm happy for you. But if you haven't, come down here and let's just pray. And let's just have everybody come down who's, who feels like you, there's, you want to do more, you want to have more, and you want to go further in life than you are right now. Amen. Amen. I believe that when we humble ourselves, God's going to exalt us. Amen.